All right, let's go ahead and start with prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, learn a bit, little bit about how you have worked in history. You are a sovereign God. We celebrate that. Uh, that is, it's not something that's frightening to us. It's something that's uh, beautiful and enjoyable, knowing that you have all of history in your hands. You guide the heart of kings like streams of water, and you also know when a sparrow falls. All of it is within uh, the sphere of your control and rule, and we thank you for that. Thank you even that the words that I'm going to say are uh, in your hand as well. Uh, I need your grace and mercy as I'm talking, so just help us this morning to uh, have a time of encouragement as we learn about church history. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we are looking at some notable people and events and experiences uh, in the years, as you can see, 1200 to 1500 leading up to the Protestant Reformation. Uh, This is going to be a two-part pre-Reformation study. Pastor Thad is going to do part two next week. Uh, We all know that the Protestant Reformation began, uh, it's historically recognized on October 31st, 1517. Uh, You have a German monk, Martin Luther, nailing 95 points of dissension with the Catholic Church onto the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. That's a date we all know, right? October 31st, 1517. Uh, But we're going to see today and next week that Martin Luther did not come along and rock a perfectly steady boat. The boat had been rocking in turbulent waters for centuries. Uh, And if you were here last week, you can think back to what Duane was talking about. Uh, He presented on the East-West split, uh, talked about the Crusades. Those were two major events demonstrating the breakdown of the church politically and geographically. Uh, And there's a lot of turmoil in addition to those things going on at this time. Uh, Keep in mind the fall of Constantinople. Uh, Duane mentioned that last week. I'm won't be talking about it today, but that obviously was a major factor. (laughs) And I I was thinking, in a lot of ways, this this time period leading up to the Protestant Reformation is a lot like, it reminded me of the saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Uh, (laughs) We're we're dealing with a very big elephant here, uh, and I was definitely feeling the weight of that as I was doing my research and preparing Uh, I was thinking, how am I possibly going to eat this entire elephant? Uh, But we don't need to eat the whole thing today. We're just going to take a couple of bites and see what we can get from it. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, Okay, after the East-West Schism, which we heard about last week, uh, typically as Westerners, we tend to focus on Western church history. Uh, There's a couple reasons for that. One being that we are Westerners and we're products of the Western church. So it's Western church history is our church history. Uh, Another reason being that the Eastern Orthodox Church hasn't really seen a whole lot of change in over the centuries. Obviously, there's plenty to talk about there and and historical development. But when you look at things like the Protestant Reformation and and whatnot, uh, it's just easier to focus on the developments of the Western church. I want to start with, let's see, there we go, a couple of verses uh, that I'm going to read out just to give us a little bit of biblical context for what we're going to be talking about today. I'll read from here. First one is 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession 
and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And the second one is 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Let the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Our natural inclination as Protestants is to just dog on the Catholic Church uh, during this time period specifically. It's easy fodder to highlight the corruptions of Rome in the Middle, of, middle Ages. Uh, and there's, there's certainly good cause to show how the Church had theologically evolved into false teachings and political power and corruption. But I wanted to share these two verses to remind us that we're not just talking about several centuries of muck and filth. Christ is building his church, and he has been ever since the apostolic age. And the gates of hell will not, nor have ever prevailed against it. And uh, for your common everyday citizens in the Roman Empire, we'll talk a little bit more about them in a little bit. Uh, And even for the Catholic clergy in some areas, the faith wasn't about a scramble for power, as we've been hearing about. Uh, But it was a real search for meaning and truth. By and large, people were not malicious, but ignorant and deceived. And that's not to say that everyone was true followers of Christ, but true followers of Christ were present throughout this time. And we're going to look at a couple of examples uh, of that this morning. And that being said, I was thinking last week while Dwayne was talking in my mind, and, and maybe in your minds as well, how could people allow themselves to be so manipulated by the Catholic Church. To, to, exor- to have the church exercise that kind of control over them. Uh, Pastor Keith, if, if you were to get up in front of the congregation this morning and say, I am compelling you or even commanding you to take up arms and travel to the Holy Land and wage war against the heathens to drive them out by violent force if necessary. What do you think the reaction of the congregation would be if you, if you got up and said that? Not very supportive. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Uh, we might be looking for a new fourth pastor, I think. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it does seem ridiculous to us to, to be so under the control of the church as to, to follow its commands even to such extremes. But I want to present to you the idea that, that we, and by we I mean those of us in the room here, uh, we are unable to view history outside of the glasses that we wear. Uh, and I use the word glasses intentionally. Uh, when I put on my glasses, those of you who wear glasses can relate to this, uh, there's, there's two lenses in these glasses. I can't see two lenses. If I look around, I can kind of see the frame and the rims a little bit. Uh, But when I'm just looking out, I don't see two distinct lenses. I just have one field of vision that I'm looking at. And I I believe that we're the same way when we look at church history. We being Reformed or Protestant um, Christians today. Those of us in the room here are studying history through two lenses. Protestantism and modernity. It's hard for us to intellectually grasp a social structure in which the church and the leaders of the church had so much control over the minds of everyday citizens. But let me ask you this. If you were going to start a Christian cult, what would be the number one thing that you would want to ensure 
in order to maintain control and keep people from knowing the truth of what Christianity control is all about. What's that? Control the information. Control the information. Yeah, what, what kind of information, for, specifically for a, a Christian cult, what kind of information are we talking about? God speaks to me. Yeah. Tell me what I'm supposed to tell you. Yeah, yeah. So what do you want to keep people from having? The Bible. The Bible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the most important aspect of the Protestant lens of our pair of glasses is our easy, unrestrained access to God's Word. The Church of Rome was able to maintain its grasp of power over people's minds, even in the midst of widespread opposition and numerous other things like wars and, and uh, uprisings and a plague and all of that. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, precisely because it kept the Bible out of people's hands. All right, making God's word accessible in vulgar languages was a huge part of the Reformation, right? We all know that. Uh, of course, that's the, the two great doctrines of the Reformation are justification by faith alone and sola scriptura, right? And we're going to look at a couple forerunners of the Reformation today uh, who held the doctrines of the church up to the Bible and saw the corruption there and sought to get, to the, get the word of God into the hands of common people. But right up until the Reformation, we need to understand, retaining an elitist access to Scripture was what allowed the Church of Rome to exercise such manipulative power over whole nations. Think about it this way. In order to receive saving grace, according to the papacy, one had to partake of the sacraments. Only priests had the power to change the bread and wine into Christ's body and blood. And if you don't partake of Christ's body and blood, you're damned forever. No king on earth had that kind of power over people's souls. And the multitudes of people in the Roman Empire had no reason to believe that this wasn't true biblical Christianity. That's all they knew. So it's important to remember that the corruption of the Catholic Church prior to the Reformation didn't just happen in a vacuum. There was a whole morass of war, confusion, fear, political unrest. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote in a little bit that that will demonstrate some of that. Add on top of that, in the mid-1300s, along comes this disease that kills somewhere between a third and half of the population of Europe. I want to show you uh, one thing here real quickly. In 2011, when I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to travel to northern Italy and tour some cathedrals. And I don't know if you can tell in this picture or not, but that the floor is a mosaic. We obviously weren't allowed to walk on it. Uh, but you might not be able to tell that that mosaic is made up of hundreds of thousands of little pieces of tile that were individually placed by hand by successive generations of workers, fathers passing on to their sons the job. They would get a certain way and then their children would continue to work. Really beautiful to look at, but that's a, that's a lot to do for the church, right? I mean, you're giving your entire life toward this task for the church. Your children, you're passing it on to your children. Um, kind of think of it in context of the manipulation aspect. Um, just think about, though, if you're an artistic craftsman and your family is dying around you, a third to a half of your close relatives are dying. Someone comes and tells you that every tile you place in service to the Holy Church will knock a year off purgatory for him. You'd probably get laying tile, wouldn't you? <laughs> so that's, uh, that's just something I wanted to, uh, to, 